Good morning, church. We're going to be going to Hebrews, continuing our study in Hebrews, starting at chapter 4, verse 14, while you go there in your Bible or your electronic device. And while you go there, let me pray real quickly. Oh, Jesus, help me. I surrender. In Jesus' name, amen. When you get there, say amen. Three of you are there. Okay. You slower ones can catch up later. Verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. For he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Oh, thank you. That wasn't for you, that was for God. Uh, verse 14, let's break this down because we got a long ways to go and a short time to get there. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Notice it says, pass through the heavens. Uh, growing up in, in this country, in the Western world, we get the idea of when we pray, we, you know, God's way up there and hell's way down there. And so when we pray, we you know, lift eyes to heaven or whatnot. And, and really, we kind of miss the mark that heaven is not a place way out there beyond the galaxy and, and the farthest star. And, and, and hell's not you know, right below our feet, even though... Sometimes it feels like it is in this part of Texas. Uh, but heaven is outside of time and space. When Jesus passed through the heavens, when he died, when he was crucified, he was in our time and space continuum. It wasn't any multiverse kind of thing. Jesus was here and now. He suffered, he bled, he died, and he rose again. Amen? And he passed through all of creation, the heavens were created. He, he went through it all. And now he sits in a place that is beyond time, beyond space. And he's also here right now. Heaven is here right now. Repeatedly in the New Testament, when Jesus was teaching his disciples, he would use the phrase, the kingdom of God is within you. How did that happen? When we ask Jesus to come into our hearts, kick out the sinful nature, he comes in and indwells that place that he has prepared for us. Go with me on that. So we do not have to, 
to go to a particular place to pray. We don't have to pray, have somebody intercede for us. Jesus has paid the price. He has gone to the cross, into the ground, risen again through the heavens and is seated at the right hand of the Father where he sees everything. The last verse from last week said, and, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. He sees it all. We can't cover up anything with Jesus. And as scary as that is, it's a good thing, even though we continue to try to hide stuff. So, for we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy. See, the th we get to go to the throne of grace. That's, that's the key part of this whole scripture today is we have personal access to this throne of grace. Uh, when Martin Luther and Calvin and them were doing the Reformation back in the 1500s or 1400s, whenever that was, uh, three things. Three things for any renewal in the body of Christ, any renewal in the church. And these guys made it abundantly clear in their in their revolt from the established religion of the time, that one, there is no sacrifice but Jesus. No sacrifice but the cross. And there's no priest but Jesus. We don't have to go to a preacher, to an elder. We don't have to go to a priest. We don't have to go to a particular person. We have direct access. What did I name this? Total access, yeah, I named this. We have total and direct access to the throne of God. And there is no confessional but the throne of grace, the throne of God. And when we hear the words throne, we think of something that has authority and power. You know, we think of kingdoms and kings. And when we think of grace, we think of sympathy and mercy. So what, this, what the writer of this scripture is doing here is, is next he's going to tell us what constitutes a priest because he's identified Jesus as our high priest along the order of Melchizedek and I had to look some of this stuff up and I hate it because it makes me think and thinking hurts those of y'all know me well know that Ow. and so in the Old Testament in Genesis there is a high priest who is also a king named Melchizedek and apparently he's one the only time ever before up till Jesus was the only king high priest. And so what the Bible does is it, it foretells, the Old Testament foretells Jesus in the New Testament. It's what it really boils down to. So then he gives us our instructions on what it takes to be a priest of the Hebrew people. So for every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins, so he can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward and see himself as best is beset with weakness. Okay, so first off, number one for a priest, you got to be a man. Okay, Jesus got that. This is my begotten son. You are my son. Today I've begotten you. We got that one covered. Offer sacrifices. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins. Jesus sacrificed himself. He offered himself for our sins. Losing my place. 
just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. Okay, and there was another one in there, beset with weakness. We're going to get back to that one. But we've covered the first and, and the last one there. He must have the weakness of men, and he has to be appointed by God. So he's man, offer sacrifices, have the weakness, the sinful nature of man, and appointed by God. Okay, so a lot of us think this is kind of a lie of the enemy. That Well, Jesus was perfect, wasn't he? He was born of a virgin, so he didn't inherit the sinful nature. And then, yeah, he, he lived. He was a little boy, and he skinned his knee, and he did all those things. And then at 30 years old, he starts his ministry. And then he was tempted in the wilderness by the devil, 40 days, 40 nights. And he didn't sin then. So how does, how does he really know how I feel? How does he know any of my shame? How does he know any of my guilt? How does he know any of the times I've despaired? How can he know that? He was perfect. And the enemy tries to throw that little question mark at us. He tries to throw that little question mark at us. And so the writer continues in verse 7 and tells us how that happened. In the days of his flesh... Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his reverence. So I'm glad that I got to, to study this and teach this because it made something clear to me in the study and that I never was really clear on before because I too had those questions. How did he know? And so as I studied this and I read some commentaries and read some other things, I realized that Jesus, his whole life was predicted. The prophets predicted the way he would, where he'd be born, how he would live, uh, when his ministry would start, uh, who would accept him, who wouldn't accept him, uh, all the way to the point of his false accusations and then his conviction and, and death on the cross, the suffering there, that he would be in the grave for three days, and then he would rise again. All that was predicted. There's nothing in the Old Testament, nothing in the words of Jesus that tell what he's going to do in the garden after the Last Supper. So we all know the story of the Last Supper. They come in, him and his disciples, and they meet in the upper room. And they have the dinner. And during that time, Jesus also knows who's going to betray him. And, and he tells him, he, he says, the guy that, you know, dips his bread in the cup with me is the one that's going to do it. And then he says, Judas, go do what you got to do. And dismissed him. He knew about that. And so after that, and you can look in your Gospels, uh, Matthew and Mark and Luke have the accounts I'm going to talk about right now. So Jesus and his disciples, they go to the Mount of Olives. After supper, let's, let's go to the garden. And he takes three of them. Peter, James, and John. Let's the others stay there. And then he does something that he's never done before in any of the scriptures. Because he goes to the garden, he goes to the Mount of Olives all the time to pray. It's, it's, Jesus always goes away to pray early in the morning. It's, that's his habit. But this time he does something different. He says, watch 
and pray. He's never asked for his disciples to, to help him in this way before. Watch and pray. So he went into the garden and he started praying. And he prayed, God, if you could take this cup from me, that'd be great. But not my will, but yours be done. And I think, and, and a lot of scholars think this, that because we never saw this before, but we read it here in Hebrews, in the days of his flesh, he offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him. I'm thinking in, in those moments in the garden, he experienced what he had never experienced before. He felt our shame, the shame of the whole world, land on him. I know what my people are feeling. I can feel the shame of their sin. Sometimes we don't realize what shame is. Shame is when I have... I just, I haven't lived up to my own standards, my own image of myself. Shame is something where I'm not the man I think I am. I'm not the man that I project to be in, in that feeling that we get when we are not who we think we ought to be. That's shame. And the next thing after shame, we as human beings feel is guilt. Guilt is what we feel when we have done harm to somebody else, when we have done something that we shouldn't, shouldn't have done to somebody else. And the, both of those things, the shame and the guilt that result from our sin, often brings us to a point of despair. And despair is where, that's just a horrible place to be. Many, you know, we've all felt it at some point in time. And so here's Jesus in the garden, and, and we don't know how long he was there, but, you know, he, he's, he's praying and, and he's hurting, he's feeling our humanity, our sin on him. And so after he prays for a while, he goes back, he comes out a little bit, and he sees his disciples asleep. Come on, guys. Wake up. Can't you stay awake for just one hour? Can't you stay and watch and pray with me for one hour? And he's told them what he's fixing to do. He's told them what's going to happen. And you can't stay awake for one hour? So he goes back in and he prays again. And he cries out again to his father. Man, I hated reading this because I'd never read it this way before. And this time it's worse than before. To the point of, you know, sweat drops of blood. And he comes back after a while and guess what the disciples are doing again? Sleeping. And he, and he says, I think the second time he just let them sleep. I don't remember. Many, three times he goes into the garden and prays. And one of them, God actually sent a ministering angel to, to strengthen him, to help him out. But every time he prayed, he said, Father, I wish this cup would pass from me. And, he, and Jesus said, but nevertheless, your will be done. Feeling, feeling all of the shame, the guilt, and despair the people that were going to yell crucify him the next day and our shame, guilt, and despair today. That's how Jesus knows 
That's how Jesus is qualified to be the high priest. He really does feel what we feel. We see people hurting in our family here, our church family and our extended family all the time. And some of us, sometimes we don't cry for help. Sometimes, especially if you're a man, you know, you just want to suck it up and, and be all macho, you know. You know, I'm going through it, whatever it is, some terrible situation, and, you know, I'm a man, I can handle this myself. Or I got myself into this mess, I can get myself out, right? And we've got a whole family here that know how we feel. There's nobody in this room or in the sound of my voice that is going through something unique. We all know somebody that has had the same fears, had the same loneliness, had the same hurts, had the same disease, has experienced the same loss of loved one, the same loss of job, the same, the same hunger, the same bills, the same, we're all the same and have been for thousands of years. But there's two people we should ask for help. We should ask God first. We should go to this throne of grace that it talks about at the first. And we should go to our brothers and sisters. And we should be willing to lift up our brothers and sisters. Nobody in this fellowship should ever be putting somebody down. We should all be here to lift each other up in everything. We can lift them up in prayer. We can help them out. Sometimes all we need to do is, is shake a hand or give a hug or a pat on the back. How many of y'all know there's people in our community, maybe even in this fellowship, that haven't had anybody touch them all week? They haven't had a handshake. They haven't had a pat on the back. They haven't had a kind word, maybe. And many of us have been... Pretty dedicated to throwing out some unkind words. Sometimes the unkind words just fly out of your mouth. They do mine, but I'm not as spiritual as you guys. That was a joke. You can laugh. <laughs> it's too serious. It is serious, but, but the enemy has tried to create this lie in us. Yeah, Jesus, he didn't. He doesn't really know how you feel. How could he possibly know? He's perfect. He's the son of God. And we as Christians have subliminally or in our subconscious or mind, you know, we've kind of bought into that because maybe I did. I mean, because I, I never really, really thought about what he did in the garden. You know, I've heard the preachers and the Sunday school teachers all my life. And then he went to the garden and prayed, God, if you take this from me, yeah, 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 yeah. But I didn't know why he was crying those tears. I didn't really realize. I didn't realize it on a gut level until I realized that it was my guilt and my shame and my despair that he took that day. And in, in the Gospel of John, he talks about how he prays for himself and he prays for us, the future church. And he prays, I mean, he prays for the world and, and, he, and he gives us over into to God's hands and before he ever sent the Holy Spirit just to be our helper. And so, that's why I start off, thank you, Jesus, at the first prayer. 
if we sit and think about it for just a minute, how, how can we not love each other more? I mean, after what he's done for us. How can we be so petty and mean to one another, mean to our families? I mean, he says, they, you will know their mind by my love. We're supposed to show love. I just, I just hate feeling that inadequate. I really do. I hate having to stand up here in front of God and all y'all and, and, and say, I, I, w- I should have known this a long time ago. I've been a Sunday school teacher for like a lot of years. And it, and it never did sink in like this. So if it's got to sink into me, it's going to sink into y'all. Because what's fair for me is fair for y'all. You know, if I got to get all booty hurt, you know, y'all can too. That's I'm not a trained preacher. I can say stuff like that. So then in verse 9, And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So, last week our subject was uh, Jesus is enough. For all of our worries, all of our troubles, Jesus is enough. It's about faith. It's about trust. Last week's whole sermon was about faith and trust. Because we get worried about ourselves. You say, what am I going to do? 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 I've got this coming up. I've got that coming up. I've got that coming up. Somebody's sick. Somebody's sick. Somebody's sick. And then we get all this worry, and when we, when we get this worrying done, we got to quit worrying and start worshiping. we got to quit overthinking and start overthinking. Go with me on that? We've got, you know, we just got to, to praise him like nobody's looking. We're so hung up on what other people think about us. And I hate to tell you, but nobody's thinking about you. That really hurt when I found that out. What? Apparently they don't know who I think I am. So Jesus has met all the qualifications of the priest. So we don't have to go to somebody with a collar turned around backwards. We don't have to go to a man that's got a THD behind his name. We don't have to confess to anybody I mean, our confessional is the throne of grace. The throne of grace is within us. Jesus can sympathize with us because he knows our shame. He knows our guilt. He is the great high priest. And having realized that, it says this word that, I think it was in my part of the wedding vows where it said obey, but she says it was in there, but I don't think that's right. We're supposed to obey him. You know, we like this, I want to trust in Jesus, bless God. But do we want to obey him? See, obedience is hard. We want our kids to obey, don't we? And, you know, we want to be good examples of obedience, don't we? Unless, you know... There's nobody else on the highway and 55 is too slow, so maybe 60 or 65 is okay when nobody's looking. How obedient, how obedient are we when nobody's looking? 
Somebody once told me that the definition of integrity is what you do when nobody's looking. Are you the same on Monday as you are on Sunday? Bless God. Here I'm at church singing the praise songs, worshiping loud. Put my money in the box by the door, fill it in online, check the box. Because they say you got to check the box. But what is obedience really? In one place it says, take up your cross daily and follow him. What does that look like? Maybe it looks just like uh, being the guy on Monday or being the girl on Monday that you were at Sunday at church. Maybe it's the asking God when you first wake up in the morning, God, let me look at my coworkers with the eyes of your love today. Help me to guard my tongue today that I don't say anything unkind. Let me try to go one day without being unkind. Some of us, let me try to go five minutes without being unkind. I've got a mean streak. Sometimes I'll, you know, I've been pretty good for a while. Haven't I? Okay. Just making sure I'm not lying. You don't want to lie from up here. But used to be I'd wake up and I'd, sometimes I'd just want to pick a fight. Anybody ever just want to pick a fight? You don't want to pick a big fight. You just want to pick enough fight to know, yeah, it works still. I still got it. But after the fight, you've got you to apologize or make up. Because if you are one of God's children... You realize you let the devil in somehow, and now you've got to make it right. And that's the part that really, it's, I don't like it. Some of y'all might, but I don't think you do. And so all the wrong, all the disobedience, we don't have to, we don't have to confess to somebody else. In the book of James, it says, confess your sins one to another. And but that's not what this is about. This is about verse 13. No creature is hidden from his side, but all are naked and exposed in the eyes of him whom we must give account. God knows what we've done, what we've fallen short. We know what we've done, where we've fallen short. So the issue with us, the decision we have to make is, am I going to cover this up between me and God, or am I going to confess to him? And we think, okay, I can confess to him. But do we really mean it? Because too often our sin, you know, we get used to it because we're doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. Are we not? Maybe it's just me. So if we find ourselves repeating the same pattern of behavior over and over again, and it's not pleasing to God, it's not glorifying God, and it's it's a blemish on my character that makes me not as attractive to the the world so that, you know, they they don't see what I've got, that I've got something that's good, and maybe they don't want it because they can see this blemish that I have, that I'm not acting in a a way that, that Jesus would want me to act. And so I use that excuse, you know, well, I'm only human. This is too much for me. They, they hurt me this way, so I've got to get even. If you ever think like that, they've done such horrible things, I can never, ever forgive them. 
But this Jesus who prayed for us in the garden and felt all of our shame and all of our guilt and all of our sin, he forgives us. Just to show you one last, one last thing and we're going to be done. And I, don't, I think I've mentioned it from up here. I know I've mentioned it in the Sunday school class or equipping class as we call it. Um, do we believe that God can save anybody? Do we really believe it? That if we ask Jesus into the heart, if anybody we know, we can ask Jesus into their heart and they mean it and they, they, have a, they turn around and they want to start living for Christ. Do we believe that? Do we really believe that? So I was told the story of Jeffrey Dahmer. Anybody know who he is? How many of y'all know that he got saved in prison before he died? And the, and the preacher that went to him, that witnessed to him for several months before, before he made his profession of faith, was ostracized and hated by his church. Did y'all know that? Because Jeffrey Dahmer didn't deserve Jesus. Do we have somebody in, in our lives that we think, yeah, we, they need Jesus, but they need to go to a different church? I want them to go to heaven, but let them go to Southside Baptist. <laughs> they'll take them to heaven. They'll, they'll show them the way to heaven. I think that's kind of a, a, a test of, of how much we really trust and obey and love Jesus. Are we willing to, to let the people we don't like to hang out with come and fellowship with us at our church? And if that's you, and sometimes it's me, that's been me, I don't know anybody right now, but it's been me in the past where I would hide from somebody that came and visited my church. Not this one, just before we went here. And I've told my equipping class, we had these these poles that held up the ceiling, the support poles, about that big around. And I am not a small individual, but I could hide behind one of those poles when I saw this person come in. Got skills, y'all. And if he came in today, I don't know that I could hide from him behind this little thing, but I would probably, you know, there was a time I would have tried. I hope I'm not that man today because I'm trying to be a little bit better every day. And, and that's, that's basically our whole message today is we don't have to go to a priest. We know that Jesus knows how we feel. We know that we can trust him to hear our prayers. We know that we can trust him that his sacrifice on the cross was sufficient there's nothing else I have to do. I can't go to church enough. I can't give money enough. I can't do work enough. I can't do anything enough of my own power. You can't either. Because Jesus paid it all. Man, somebody ought to write a song like that. <laughs> write that down for me, baby. I'm going to write a song. That sounds good. Jesus did pay it all. After realizing, I mean... After feeling what we feel. And if he wasn't personal to you before, I hope he's more personal to you now. So let's pray. The praise team is going to come up and lead us in worship. We're going to have a time of, of invitation. 
we'll have a couple people that will be up here to pray with you if you want to be prayed with. Or if you just want to come up here and pray by yourself, you can do that too. Uh, I'll be up here. Terry will be up here. Kristen, are you? I can't see. <laughs> There's a light up here, y'all. So, Father God, we just love you so much. And we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that you, that you brought us here as, as a family, adopted into your family, God. And that we are brothers and sisters. That we can carry each other's burdens. And Father, we pray right now during this, this time of prayer and time of invitation that if we don't have anything to pray for down here, that we would pray at our seats. These songs that we sing now would be, be songs of, of supplication, songs of deliverance, songs of praise for you, God, that, that we will spend more time praising and less time worrying. God, we just thank you that you're God and that we are not. In Jesus' name, amen.